0: Well, good morning. How are we all doing today? Yeah, it's, it's, I love seeing, you know, everybody kind of nestles up in the shade every morning, uh, just wherever the shade goes. And so I'll try not to preach too long as the sun moves, you know, and you might be left out there in the sunlight. So I know it can be a little warm, but uh, how many of you are thankful for the weather that we're having? Yeah, it's, it's such a blessing. I mean, this, this is beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful weather. Um, Chances to get out and get things done right around the house and all that. Hopefully you're doing that. Um, So, you know, today we're going to jump into, or I should kind of back into the book of Acts. Uh, How many were here last year when we went through uh, the first part of Acts? Okay, good number of people. Um, Again, all of those sermons are online. If you missed it, don't feel left out. You can jump in there and and go back and listen to all of those uh, and get caught up if you'd like. Um, but we're going to go back in today and you know we began our series or our sermon series last year was called Unfinished the Church on Mission. And again, the idea was not the that the work of Christ or the cross was unfinished, but that the church had work to do, right? It was just the beginning. It would, there was unfinished business if you will and so the church began to mobilize and began to do uh, a lot of things as it kind of was birthed you know in those moments uh, following the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and so again that was what we really focused on was that that ministry really in Jerusalem and how the church was birthed, and so uh, it was a very. I, I love it. I love that part of the the, the scriptures of the gospels, uh, or no, well not the gospels, but on the post end of the gospels, there just of how the church became, you know, into and came into existence, and it was such an amazing thing. And so today um, we're gonna we're gonna begin a, probably a series that's gonna run this month and next month. Probably till the end. I say that loosely. I don't know. Today already became a part one of two. Uh, this this morning, so um, that's for your sake, so you don't have to sit here quite as long. And uh, so we're gonna, you know, kind of work our way through the next five or so chapters, and we're gonna kind of watch as the church uh, begins to uh, expand. But before we do that, uh, I want to, you know, kind of just briefly. Just, and again, most of us are probably familiar, but Acts is really about, you know, again, when when the disciples are waiting and the Holy Spirit shows up, right? And a very powerful moment happens as the Holy Spirit comes on the scene and empowers the disciples, empowers the followers of Christ to do what they've been called to do, to truly take the gospel uh, to Jerusalem and then into the, uh, to the ends of the world. And so, you know, that we see that moment, and the Holy Spirit makes a, a very dramatic entrance, doesn't he? And Peter, of course, preaches his first sermon, uh, and, and thousands literally come to Christ in, in, a, in a moment. And I mean, that's staggering. I can't imagine what that must have been like. And then, of course, the church continues to, to move on and to grow uh, during that time. And we, we finished off that whole section at the end with kind of a, it was kind of a, a sad moment, wasn't it? In the sense of, you know, we see Stephen uh, be martyred for his faith. And I say that sort of, that word sort of, because, well, a guy died. Yeah, he died, but he died professing Jesus Christ. And I feel like that is also a, a, a victory, if you will, because he stood... What he for what he knew was true, and he stood in the face of all that persecution and he he, he preached basically at the ones that would eventually strike his, at least his physical body down. And so we sort of ended, you know, it's kind of a, when you watch those series and they leave you with that kind of, oh man, that moment, or especially if it's the end of a season, getting ready and you gotta wait till the next year or next time the season starts, right, of a TV show. And so it's kind of been in that, that setting, you know, that we've waited um, and that's where we sort of left things. And so now we're gonna kind of roll up into uh, this, this, the kind of right after this scene and then kind of move forward. And so this, this series now, while it's on the same you know, book of Acts, uh, we're calling it To the Ends of the Earth. And that's really, you know, as they begin to move out of Jerusalem, where they're, where they're beginning to move. And so that's what we're calling it. That's what we're gonna be looking at. And so it's gonna be uh, really good. And so I, I hope you'll you know, do your best to be here uh, and, and just to really um, take some good notes. And we're gonna just take our time and kinda walk through and unpack uh, a lot of the scripture. Now, again, in that scene, of Stephen, you know, he was he was the first Christian martyr, you know, on record in the Bible, and you know it was a very uh, profound scene. It was a very it was a sad scene in the sense of you know again he was stoned, and that is a horrific way to die. And he was stoned really unjustly. They they, they drug him out. It, it does not appear to be a, a legal you know like he had done something wrong, um, but they they did it very quickly and out of and maliciously. Um, and it really, you think about that, and we can read this passage, and we can read even these things that happen, and if, if we're not careful, I, I always tell you, you, know, we need to pause, don't we? We need to kind of stop and put ourselves in that situation. So imagine you know, the church, right, and the Holy Spirit is showing up, things are just growing like crazy, and things are progressing, and things are moving, and all of a sudden, here's this uh, prominent figure, and he's, he's, it didn't work out well for him, did it? it he, he's dead, he died. And, and so imagine kind of the, the shockwave that would have sent through the early church, like, oh, this is, this is for real now. <laughs> that could have been me. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I mean, I would rather send me to the, to the guillotine or do something. I mean, stone, being stoned is a, a, a really horrific way to die, painful way. And so, you know, again, this, this should have struck fear, and maybe it did in one sense through the, the early church. Now, um, let me just, I, I want to just pause here for a moment. And um, how many, well, I don't know, it, I say farmers. Let me let me just tell my story. I'm not gonna ask you uh, about this. Uh, you know, th- growing up, I grew up uh, in a rural part of Michigan surrounded by farmlands, you know, much like here when you get out a little bit and there's lots of farms. And so a lot of my friends worked on farms and um, I gotta be careful the words that I say here, uh, but you know, they, they had access to explosive things to dynamite and stuff okay and you know we were kids <laughs> and we just did stuff and i'm going to leave it at that and I've, it's been forgiven um but one thing that we would talk about sometimes my buddy would tell me you know is they they had the dynamite not for just entertainment purposes they had the dynamite because a lot of times they'd have to remove stumps right these huge trees that would be in the fields and they would have to remove things out of the ground well the thing about dynamite, and you maybe get more information than you wanted to know here, but you know, if you just take that stick of dynamite and you light it and you just set it down by the stump, okay, it'll explode and it might, you know, do a little bit of damage, but it's, it's not gonna remove the stump, right? If you ever watch, you know, how they remove stumps or, or any kind of uh, large object like that, the key is you have to dig down below it, right? You have to dig this, this hole and get underneath it in a small space and that dynamite has to go inside that hole. And what happens is, is, is when that dynamite explodes and there's just very little space, it creates a tremendous explosion, right? Compared to if the dynamite were just laying there because there's nowhere, you know, it's, it's, it's under pressure, right? That, all that sudden, that pressure has nowhere to go. And so whatever is kind of the, the object above it or whatever is what's gonna move out, right? To make, to make space. And, you know, I, I give that analogy or that, that picture, if you will, in your mind and maybe it's, you know, good, maybe it's not. But, you know, it, of, of what happens when things are under pressure and and what can happen and, and how effective things can, can be when they're under pressure. And, and really the church, you know, is a lot like that, right? The church, you know, especially as we, we're going to see here is when pressure comes, the church does something. And, you know, the title of today's message and, and what I would call it is, is this. It's, it's scattered, not shattered. Scattered, not shattered. And that's what we're going to see with the church here. Because what seems to some maybe that the church is shattering under the, the pressure that's now coming down on it. That's really not what's happening. What we're seeing is that the church begins to scatter. And there's a big difference between that, those two words. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be jumping in and right at the beginning there in verse 1. And again, this is right on the tail end, the next, you know, you flip the page, go to the next chapter, whatever, right after Stephen's uh, uh, being martyred. And we're gonna kinda just jump in right there. And if you recall, uh, Saul, you know, and again, he's gonna really come onto the scene later on here in Acts, but Saul who eventually becomes Paul was present there, right? It says they laid their cloaks down uh, at his feet as he stood and watched Stephen be put to death. And so it picks up in verse one of chapter eight, And Saul approved of his execution, his execution being Stephen's. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging. And again, that word ravaging, if you can imagine a pack of wolves or, you know, in a sheep pen, right? And just, he was ravaging the church. He was just coming against it. It was his mission, and he was uh, very good at what he did. And so he was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, and for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city." They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. and thank you for your word. Father God, I ask, Lord God, that you would truly open our hearts and and, and just our understanding, Father, to hear your words uh, and, God, just your scripture. And, God, we thank you just for uh, this account, Lord God, of, of the early church, which we are sitting here today really as a result of. And that is truly staggering, and, and it tributes uh, to your great power and your great abilities, Lord, to literally carry uh, Lord, this to the other side of the world where we stand today, and so God, we just thank you that that we um, know you and that we have your word, Father God, uh, for us to to look at and to to think about and to consider today. Thank you for this day, Lord, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. And so again, so we've got you know a, a little bit going on here, and you know coming off of of Stephen's martyrdom and, and and Saul's there, and you know the 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 big thing to see here is is their that day seemed to, to kind of be a marker, if you will. You know, it says there arose that day this this great, great persecution against the church. It became the mission, if you will. And obviously, you know, before that, you know, as Jesus walked the earth, there was this kind of uprising, if you will. And, and as things started to get bigger and bigger, you know, the, the leaders, if you will, of that time, the religious leaders were getting concerned. But then once Jesus died and, you know, he was ri- he rose from the dead and his followers, were around, but it, it seemed to have kind of maybe squelched it in the eyes of the religious leaders. But then what we see is, is as things actually in, kind of backfired, if you will, in their, in their face because the church actually began to grow as, as a result. And so now we see this kind of commissioning of Saul and Saul sets out on a mission, and it shows his his fervor, if you will, and, and how passionate he was, because he believed with all his heart he was doing the right thing. That this was false, this was fake, and so uh, he was coming after the Christians. And you know, it was something that uh, that many you know of the the early church they had to to reckon with. This thought again, much different than today when we say yes to Christ. It's like okay, somebody might make fun of us from time to time or, you know, kind of mock us, but nothing like this kind of persecution. And so, again, this is what the church was facing. Now, I want us to just jump back for a moment to, to the beginning of Acts chapter 1. And as Jesus was, was, was leaving the earth, right, he had risen from the dead, he was beginning to, be, about to make his ascension, and he says this, he says this to the disciples in eight, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, right? That's what we saw at the beginning of Acts. And he says this, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And if you have your Bibles, where else? In Judea and Samaria, right? Almost like there was a plan here in place (laughs) that, that, that he knew uh, you know, he's laying out the instructions and, you know, yeah, you're going to start in Jerusalem, but there's these other places. You're you're going to move outward. This is going to happen. And then he even goes on from there and he says, into the end of the earth. <laughs> and when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up uh, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, again, we have to kind of stop here and put ourselves in this setting and understand what's going on. So remember that up to this point, Jerusalem was the center of everything to the to the Jew right this is why as we talk often and if you've, you've studied scripture or heard it all you know they would they would travel for miles for weeks you know kilometers whatever it was you know they would they would travel to go to Jerusalem for specific festivals and events right because that was the place they were supposed to come to worship and and so there there was in their mind again. Remember Jerusalem. That was that was the place, and that was central to everything that they did. And so the Christians in Jerusalem you know, they began to fulfill the commands of Jesus. You know, first in Jerusalem, right? They were reaching, they were growing in Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden we see that this this guy Philip is is kind of got, gone out a little bit, right? But what I want want you to catch here is that the thing that ends up moving the believers, the Christians out, is not really the most comfortable thing in the world. And it's probably, you know, I don't wanna say the least expected thing, but it's probably the, the least welcome thing. And that's simply persecution. And I want us to pause for a moment and just let that simmer with you because we are creatures who like comfort. We, we, you know, they were doing probably very great things. that probably they were doing wonderful things in Jerusalem, weren't they? And it it was funny because, you know, I I went back to that, that scene when Jesus, you know, ascended into heaven. And if you recall, I didn't read that part, but right after that, as Jesus leaves, where are the disciples? Did they run out and start on their mission? No, they're still standing there like this. Like looking at Jesus and, and what happens? Two angels come up and basically, my paraphrase, like, why are you still standing here? <laughs> There's work to do, right? And before we're too hard on the disciples, I, th- I think if we're honest, I think many of us are a lot of the times the same way, aren't we? We just kind of get caught up in where we're at or what we're doing, and we kind of lose sight of maybe what we're called to do. And so much like those disciples were still standing there and they kind of needed those angels. I mean, I don't know if you've had that happen, but if a couple angels showed up and said, hey, you need to get going and do this, my response at least would be, Okay, there's two angels standing here. I'm going to go ahead and start moving now. (laughs) Right? It kind of snapped them back to attention. And so, you know, here it's the same kind of thing. You know, they were doing great work in Jerusalem. They were doing a lot of good things. But somehow the persecution, the dialing up of that heat, if you will, caused them to, to begin to scatter. To begin to not like just kind of wander around, but to really start to get back onto the mission of what Jesus had called them to do. And I'm not going to deep dive on this, but I just want you to, to chew on that for a minute and how God uses discomfort or things that maybe we don't enjoy to still to accomplish his plans and his purposes. And I'm not saying that every single bad thing that happens is you know, you know God has ordained that or, or allowed that because it says every good and perfect thing comes from the Lord. But how he uses situations like that to, again, to get us to move, to get us to kind of, you know, to prod us on, if you will, to get us back into motion. And so we see that, and, you know, we see that the Christians begin to now scatter. And so in those first couple verses, again, you know, talking about Saul, and as he rose up and he began to, to persecute the church so heavily, um, and it says a great persecution against the church began, and he was ravaging the church. You know, God, again, it's the way that God works. You know, we talked about, we had a series called the Upside Down Kingdom, if you remember that. Because God does not operate the way the world does, does it? He doesn't pull out the, the, the dry erase board and have, you know, the whole diagram and the arrows, and it all makes sense. You know, it, we, a lot of times after we get to the end of it, it makes sense to us, right? Like, oh, I see what you were doing there. But while we're walking it out, it's, it's sometimes, you know, to get from here to there, God's going to take us out that way and then bring us in another direction, and why does he do that? What's the simple answer to that? He can, yeah. That's that's a good answer. But also through that time, what, what what's happening to us? We're beginning to grow in our faith, right? Because you know we can't see exactly how it's going to go this way when we start going this way. But as God is laying out the next step, and we walk it out, and we still end up where we're supposed to be, we've now walked it out by faith because we've had to trust Him because it no longer was in our own strength or in our, what makes sense in our mind, if you will, right? And so this is what God is wanting to do. He wants us to grow. And so this is, you know, this upside down kingdom, you know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first, all those kinds of things. And, and I want to challenge us today because I truly believe that it's it's only when we move into these realms of, as I say in my ear quotes, not according to the plan, <laughs> and even at times to the, you know, places of discomfort, that we position ourselves in the middle of what God wants us to do. And I don't know if you're taking notes or if you're taking mental notes or whatever, but I hope you caught that phrase. You know, you you can't sit there, and and a lot of us want to kind of stay there hanging on the edge of the pool, so to speak, and not let go and and really get out into the deeper waters. Why? Because we're not sure. There's an uncertainty, and we really kind of have to rely on God when we do that. But it's only in those places that you, you discover, again, God and how he works. I love, I wasn't even planning on Jeff sharing that uh, this morning about, you know, how he just came across this person. And, and what did he do? He, he shared with them. He didn't plan that. He didn't know that was coming at him this morning. But he talked to that person and he shared, you know, shared the, the good news of the gospel. And, you know, when we step into those moments, that's when God shows up. If you've ever gone skydiving, you know, and you can have the the prettiest, coolest parachute in the world and, you know, you walk around on the ground and you hold it out and you show everybody, like, look at my parachute, isn't it gorgeous? You see the the colors and how they all work together and you know what happens and you you show them that when I pull this, it comes out and it opens up and the strings all do this and I can steer like this. But how many know until you actually jump out of the plane, can you fully experience and appreciate what the parachute does? right now you've moved your faith from your your legs and feet being planted on the earth to now you have faith in this thing that's holding you up and bringing you to earth earth in a very soft way instead of plummeting <laughs> right and so it's much that same way and so when we move into these these places you know, that's when we truly begin to experience where our faith is, how do we grow in our faith and experience God just moving and, and the Holy Spirit as well being very evident and present in our life. Oftentimes when I talk to people and, you know, they're going through a dry season and their walk with God, if you will, and, you know, I, I kind of dig down a little bit and, you know, it's like, so what are you what are you doing right now? You know, are you, are you doing anything to, 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 to share with other people? Are you investing in somebody's life? You know, are you, you know, we would call it discipling or mentoring, whatever that is. What are you doing right now where you need God's help? <laughs> and that's my question. And, and oftentimes, you know, if you're not doing that, then you're not. It's hard to, to experience the hand of God if you're the spirit of God on your life. Because the spirit of God does not come upon you and, and does not empower you to simply, you know, get up in the morning and make an omelet for yourself. The Holy Spirit shows up when you need God's strength, when you need to do something that's beyond yourself and your ability and to do something for his kingdom. And so, you know, that's that's what I, I want us to come to here. Again, we don't have a Saul maybe in our life that's, you know, it's coming after us to threaten us, to persecute us and to possibly lock us up. But we do still have a calling on our life and we can still walk out and experience these things. And speaking of Saul, again, we see that Saul is present here, that he approves, and as I said, he he's ravaging the church. Listen to this account, and I don't mean to be a spoiler, but this is later on in Acts Acts chapter 26, actually, uh, verses 9 through 11, and, and as Paul, this is after his conversion, and he's kind of sharing back when he was, you know, persecuting the church, and this is what he says. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem, I not only, listened to this, not only locked up many of the saints, and I want you to, you know, how I said earlier, you know, he p- committed them to prison. You're like, yeah, I could do some jail time for Jesus. Anybody down with that? No, take, here's okay a couple. We'll work on you. It's okay. But, you know, maybe some of you are sitting there, Yeah, you know, get three meals a day. Nowadays, you know, in prison, it seems like it's a pretty sweet deal. You know, you get fed and get cable TV and get to learn how to knit and stuff like that. I mean, So I think it's, you know, I don't know where you're at, but maybe if that's what you're thinking, listen to this. And he said, you know, I did so in Jerusalem. I only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the, not prisons, in the synagogues (laughs) and tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And you want to talk about a committed individual, okay? And, you know, again, this tells us and this shows us those people, imagine being in your, if you're in a life group here in the church, you know, and you're meeting during the week, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and somebody comes barging in and all the the men and women are collected up and taken to prison. And then, again, as he said, and then they were ultimately, a lot of them were ultimately put to death. So, again, imagine that setting whenever they gathered with the understanding that, you know, these, their doors were oftentimes being kicked down and they would be found out, even to the point where they're being punished in the synagogues. Right there in front of everybody. They were trying to make a statement. They were trying to squelch this movement and what was happening. And Paul was committed to it. And so pressure was building, pressure was, you know, was building up, and the church begins to scatter all a- around the region. Anybody ever pulled the dandelion out, or, you know, maybe you have, maybe you just have them in your yard, and, you know, when the dandelion gets to that phase, and you blow it, you know, and all the little seeds go everywhere, right? You know, that's kind of this, this picture, this also, this, this picture that we're seeing of the church beginning to scatter, and it's scattering all around and multiplying. And if you have anything like my yard, those dandelions are are a great example because they just show up everywhere, don't they? And so this pressure builds and this, this scattering begins. And the believers in Jerusalem, again, they were God's seed. And he used this wind, if you will, of persecution to scatter them to new soil where they could take root. And as the church moved forward, it shared the good news with the excluded and the outcast. And that's something key I want you to understand they did not just have a zip, a change of zip code, if you will. They were still on mission. They were sharing the good news. That's what it said. Is they went out. They were scattered and they shared the good news wherever they went. You know, one of the greatest uh, blessings when I was overseas, and because so many people came from all over the world to work there. You know, I've mentioned before in our, our church about this size, we had over 25 nationalities. Many of those people would return to their home countries eventually. And so they would come and they would, they would be built up in their faith. They would be trained. They would understand the gospel. And then they would go back to their home countries and they would go places that you or I could never go. Because they could speak the language and they were from that place. They could, they could blend in and, and, and they were a part of that culture. That was their people. And so it was amazing to watch this and, and how God would use this. And so much the same thing here, though. You know, they, went, they went out, but they went out with purpose. Again, the church scattered, but it did not shatter. And so here in chapter 8, you know, in those, those first few verses, you know, we talked about uh, in, in, in verse 4 there, it says, Now those who were scattered, they went about preaching the word. And that's what we had alluded to earlier. And, you know, this guy Phillips comes on the scene, right? And he's, he's gone to a place called Samaria. How many people have heard of Samaria? Yeah, a few? Okay. So, you know, and again, we're, we'll unpack this in a moment, but, you know, the Samaritans and the Jews were not buddies at all. <laughs> they Actually, they couldn't stand each other. And we'll unpack that here a little, in a little bit. But, you know, here again, you know, we see this, and I just want to touch briefly on, you know, this, this account of this man named Simon, who, who apparently was a magician. He, he had, you know, he was doing these works in the, the area there, and people really uh, esteemed him. And Philip came in, and he was empowered, of course, by the Holy Spirit, and many things were happening. And, and I love that last line in verse 8. It says, so there was much joy in that city. You know, they, they received the good news and things began to happen and God began to move and, and change people's lives. And so while Simon saw this and even, you know, he even, you know, accepted, you know, the invitation, if you will. He became a Christian and said he believed. And, you know, um, again, this was a, a very important moment that happened as it was as the people began to look to Philip now and, and the, 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 as he walked with the Holy Spirit you know, the things that he was doing. And so it says many Samaritans came to Christ. And now we're going to read further here, and um, beginning in verse 14 of, of Acts chapter 8. And this is where things get, get a little interesting. And so it says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, okay, so now they'd received, they, they, they'd come to Christ, uh, to know Christ, and it says they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit for he had not yet fallen on any of them but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus then they laid their hands on them and they received the holy spirit so again it's a little bit of a similar kind of you know going back when we first started in Acts and we saw the holy spirit show up it seems to be a very similar moment kind of taking place here in verse 18 it says now when simon saw that the spirit again this this magician guy saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles hands he offered them money saying give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So then Peter had some words for him, obviously, because he's trying to purchase <laughs> this, this power, if you will, or what, what, you know, what was being offered, or what he saw. And Peter says to him, he says, May your, your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither uh, part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said to me or said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So again, you know, Simon here is a very interesting person because... You know, he's basically called out, if you will, by Peter. And, you know, instead of repenting, he just simply says, pray that this won't happen to me, these bad things won't happen to me. Um, Instead of coming down to the issue of his heart. And we see really where his heart was because, again, he's trying to purchase something that's, that's a free gift and kind of taking the shortcut, if you will. But again, you know, this is happening amongst the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, just to give you a little bit of a background on them, did you know that they were originally Israelites? Right? The Samaritan people. They were originally Israelites and they began to intermarry with foreigners. And they even tried to stop Nehemiah from building the walls of Jerusalem, if you recall. When Nehemiah was trying to build in the Old Testament, the, the, the Samaritans came in, they were actually trying to stop him. And, and, and you know, they they built on their own, uh, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, right? And if you remember last week when I mentioned the woman at the well. Uh, If you were here last week, anybody here last week? Okay, the woman at the well, when she refers to uh, the mountain that our fathers worshiped, this is what she was referring to because they had built a temple there, and so instead of going to Jerusalem like the Jews were doing, and that was kind of the central part, they went ahead and did their own thing and built this, this temple on this mountain. And that's what she had referred to. And that also just kind of gives you another little deeper snapshot to how significant the fact that Jesus was not only sitting there talking to this woman, but the fact that she was a Samaritan woman was another whole level. Like you did not talk to the Samaritans Um, again, Samaria, uh, you know, it was also just another tidbit, was a refuge for outlaws as well. They were outlaws. There were Jewish criminals that were excommunicated, right? Well, they could go over to Samaria and they would be welcomed in. The whole thing of excommunications, you were kind of left out on your own, right? There was no, you were not accepted anywhere. But Samaria would allow them to come in and be accepted. They could do whatever and live their lives. And so there was tons of animosity, tons of reasons why the Jews and, and the Samaritans, couldn't stand each other, right? They could not stand each other. Now, that should give you a kind of an idea of what's happening or the significance of what's happening as, again, uh, Philip is now on the scene, and now Peter and John have come on the scene, and you see this general conversion happening with the Samaritans. They have received the good news now. And so, again, you know, Peter comes onto the scene. And I think, you know, what we're seeing here, because because some people ask, you know, why is there this different moment of, of the Holy Spirit? You know, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And there's there's a lot we could go into here, and I'm not going to keep you that long today. But, but I, I want to try to unpack this just a touch. But I think the significance, though, is with Peter. And I want to share this with you. In Matthew 16, uh, verses 16 through 19, This is, again, going back quite a ways when Jesus was on the earth and he's sitting with his disciples and he he says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not received or revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now listen to this. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, there's a significance here. Peter, again, he is the same in the sense of he is the same as you or I. We He is a human being. And how many know that Peter blew it pretty bad? Right? We all know that. How many love Peter? Because <laughs> it gives hope for a lot of us, doesn't it, when we blow it? Because if you remember, Peter, again, he denied Jesus three times, right? After Jesus said he would, and you know, Peter's like, no, no, I would never deny you. And as soon as you know, everything kind of started going down, Peter's, I don't know the guy, right? And then we see this beautiful scene on the side of the, the, the lake, right, where, where Jesus restores him three times and tells him three times to feed his lambs and to, to, to feed his sheep, right? Now, what's interesting here? Is we saw? Remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter was obviously there, right? Did Peter kind of did he have a significant role there on Pentecost? <laughs> the answer is yes, right? You good? You guys with me today? You guys seem kind of did you guys did you guys have some like margaritas on your way in or y'all there? You just that comfortable? Okay, it's a little warm today, but all right. <laughs> so. So, But I want you to get this. So if if you've been sleeping the whole time, just wake up for a second, and I'll put you back to sleep in just a second. But just, just pay attention here. So what was amazing, though, at the day of Pentecost is Peter, because this was a kind of a cool thing that was kind of came out. So Peter at the day of Pentecost, again, was the guy that stood up and preached, right? He was there when the Holy Spirit showed up in the room, and he kind of came to the forefront quickly as kind of leading the disciples, didn't he? Uh, The first among equals, if you will. And so he was present, listen to this, in the upper room when the Holy Spirit first came to the Jews. Agreed? All right, you with me so far? That was point one, so I hope you are. With the Jews, in Acts chapter 8, right here, now we see Peter comes in, they pray, and once again he is present when the Holy Spirit shows up. Now to who? To the Samaritans. To the partial Jews, to the half-Jew, half-Samaritan, right? Because they had intermarried. So they are well, not half-Samaritan, but they were half-something else. But they were Samaritans, so they were the half-Jews, if you will. He's present. Well, guess what? I'm going to give you a spoiler again. In Acts chapter 10, guess where else he is present at? He shows up at a man named Cornelius' home. And he is present there because he had heard that, that they had basically believed in Christ and everything. He shows up, shares with them, and guess what happens? <laughs> they receive the Holy Spirit, and this is to the Gentiles, the ones that aren't Jews at all. And so I I believe that you know God is, is doing something, and, and in these moments, there's something very significant between you know the Holy Spirit. Uh, when when people accepted Christ or the message of the gospel and the Holy Spirit showing up, because it's very significant and it needs to be something kind of marked, if you will. And it's just interesting to me that Peter was there for all three of those very significant people groups, the Jews, the half-Jews, and then the Gentiles. And so, again, you know, we see this, uh, you know, that God can do uh, amazing things, and he reaches places that we maybe had never thought possible because we see, again, people that, in the Jews' eyes, you know, were not kind of on the in crowd or did not, they did not have rights to it. Now suddenly they see people receiving it. They see the outsider, if you will, receiving it, and they begin to understand that this good news, this gospel, this message, and what God is offering is available and is a gift to all. How many of us can say amen to that? You should say amen because that's why we're here today. We were in that last group. That's what got us in, and so we can be thankful that that we have been invited uh, to enter into to the good news of the gospel and to re- be able to receive Jesus. So again, when we, we when we say yes to Christ, when we, we we accept the good news of the gospel and we believe and. And, you know, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved and Jesus becomes Lord of our life. You know, now that that's 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 how it works. Right. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is present. But sometimes there's some confusion and I'm not going to deep dive on these things. But, you know, because there's lots of terminologies like baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, being anointed by the Holy Spirit. Right. And a lot of it comes down to, again, it's, it's about us being on mission. And while we can, you know, we can dial in on some of these things, but we're not going to do that today. My, what I want you to take away from this is that if you truly want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're only going to do so if you're on mission, if you're, if you're being obedient to what God has called you to do. Then God's hand rests upon you. Then the Holy Spirit truly can anoint you and, and you can begin to do amazing things. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I want you to catch that today because I believe that a lot of us here, again, (laughs) I know that most of us here probably need more hope in our lives. And we see a world that needs hope. And again, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can truly discover that and find that for ourselves. As we prepare to, to wrap up, and I'm going to put a pause kind of on this for now. Uh, until next week, we'll finish up this, this chapter. But I want, want us to just take a moment to just, again, come back to that place and think about, you know, the scattered, not shattered kind of phrase one thing we have to understand and you know especially the days and times that we're living in we have to as a church as as believers we have to be to be flexible and moldable and I, what i say by what i mean by that is not that we just go along with whatever you know culture's doing or there, there are lines that we draw right But we have to continue to to let God reveal to us what it is that He's wanting to do, what it looks like today. And again, the message is the same, and and the the non-negotiables, as I call them, are the closed-handed things. You know, those things will always; those are the hills we'll die on, so to speak. But we have to continue to 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 ask the Lord show us how do we reach the people around us, how do we reach them with the good news? You know. volunteering. We call it volunteering. I want to, I'm going to call it, start calling it ministering on Strawberry Fest. (laughs) That's what we call it now. We call it the parking lot ministry because we have to understand that that's an opportunity. That's a ministry. That's something, that's a very unique way for you to come into contact. Uh, You know, I'm not going to, I want to get Jeff back here at some point with Jody and they can unpack some more of what they do in their ministry. But you know, one of the things they have is a food pantry and I'm sure that they love to see people be fed and to meet that physical need. But ultimately, their hope is to have those conversations. Am I, am I speaking right here? You know, that they get that opportunity to, to share some with somebody, to hear where their struggle is, to get to pray with them, to share the good news. You know, it's kind of like last week we talked about, right, when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and he's like, you know, that water is great, but I'm, if you knew who I was, I'm offering living water, water that doesn't run dry, water that gives you eternal life. And that's what we have to always always have our eyes open to and always be aware of is that we're looking for those opportunities. You know, we often will find ourselves, church, in difficult circumstances. Now more than ever, things don't seem to be going according to plan, do they? But I want us to always be looking for what God might be up to. All right, if we keep our eyes open and we ask God to show us, God, what what are you doing in this situation? I don't understand it. It maybe doesn't make sense. Maybe it's not anywhere near according to the plan that I had. But show me what your will is and what you want me to do, and I'll step in and I'll do it. Never think that the things, that things have gotten so out of control that God can't do something, or that you've done something so bad that God can't still do something truly amazing through you and in you. We just, you know, have to look at Peter as our example, right? If he can turn that guy around and do something amazing through him, he can surely work through any of us. Amen. As we prepare to kind of transition here into, we're going to move into a time of communion. But before we do, um, and if you haven't received the elements yet, uh, the Dorfmeyer's here will be walking around with the baskets and you can kind of flag them down um, so you can partake. But as we do, I don't want to just kind of walk away from this this message and where we've kind of paused things this morning. I realize again, you know, there there are many things that vie for our attention. We're here in a a holiday weekend. I'm sure you know there's plans and things, and those things are are going to be there. I assure you after we're done. But today in this moment, I want us to pause, and I want us just to kind of examine ourselves. And you know, uh, when we do approach communion, it tells us to examine ourselves. In fact, but. But today I want us to examine ourselves, examine our lives, and just to pause and think for a moment about how, how are we living and, and maybe who or what? Or is there is there something in our lives, a circumstance or a situation? Is there something that we could approach, or is there a person maybe that we could speak to that's that's present? Maybe it's a family member, friend, a relative, any any of those people, neighbor. What are we doing for the good of of sharing the good news. How are we doing that? I'm sure most, a lot of us, maybe not most of us, maybe a lot of us, are going to come across many people's paths this weekend. We're going to be spending time with people that we know well. And so my question is, what would happen if we approached those situations, asking God, God, show me a, a, a person or show me a way to to share something, a part, you know, the good news, to to, to talk about You, to share my testimony, if they don't know You. Because that's what you know. What really drove the church, and again, while that pressure came and while that squeeze sort of happened, and it, things began to expand quickly, again, don't lose sight of the fact that while they were being again dispersed, if you will, they were still on mission and they still saw those opportunities. Today, as we uh, again come into this time of communion, we we do so with full view of the cross and and the work of the cross in our lives and the price that was paid and as we prepare our, our hearts I'd like us uh, to go and to, to recite to share if, if you know it the the Lord's prayer you're welcome to join in but I love this the prayer because it's really you know it's it's the answer Jesus gives when the disciples ask the simple question teach us how to pray how do we pray and, you know, Jesus answers with a very succinct, you know, this is, let me show you, this is how you do it. And so it's very good, it's very important, and, and so we want to do that today. And so as we, we do this, uh, again, if you know it, you're welcome to join in, or otherwise you can just sit there and, and listen. So let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.